What's happening, y'all? This is Ty Wilson with another episode of Elevate Your Game. Today, we have CSUN, Hall of Famer, all-time assist leader, uh, the head coach of Sierra Canyon basketball with five CIF titles, either at the regional level or state. Another one at Oaks Christian, uh, former coach of the Cleveland High School, where he also went to high school. None other than Andre Chevalier. Welcome to the show. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so how we get started on the show is we look at the wall of hoop movies, and we like to know what your favorite hoop movie is of all time and why. Oh, man, you got some good ones up here. Um, I'm going to have to go with Coach Carter uh, as a favorite. White Man Can't Jump is not too far behind, uh, but I kind of model myself after Coach Carter uh, mm -hmm. with the discipline, uh, you know, the love, and then, you know, from where I come from, it's kind of the same type of neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, so being able to take those kids, love on them, uh, support them at a high level, uh, and be able to push them to uh, elite levels uh, in life um, yeah. and on the court, I think that's that's what my flow is. Yeah, it's my favorite, one of my favorite movies for sure. I'll, anytime it's on, I watch it. Yeah. And uh, my wife thinks I look like Timo Cruz. And so um, she likes watching it too. I apparently. agree with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, she got eye candy. Yeah, like, hey, yo, yo, hold on. No Timo Cruz is tied here. You know so. what I mean? <laughs> no, that's, that's that. a great one. Uh, cool. You got to check out that new movie, Elevate Your Game by Todd Wilson. No, I'm joking. Oh, oh, I'm about to get I rid of that. I thought it was coming. <laughs> nah. <laughs> so, um, you know, just getting into it, the show is about elevating the culture of basketball, mm -hmm. your experience um, as a player, as a coach, as a parent in the game. Um, from all those avenues and the levels that you've reached of just um, being a national, you know, level coach. And man, I don't even know how many Division One players and NBA players at this point, yeah. being able to help kids reach the highest levels of their dreams and goals. And I know it happens not even uh, just on the court, but off the court where I know um, just different kids in high levels of business that aren't basketball. Definitely. And so, um, man, just want to gain the knowledge that you have and be able to share it with the people. Uh, we'll start off with, with, you know, you started as a player, of course, playing at Cleveland and then staying in the Valley to CSUN, which we don't see a lot of kids do quite yet. We want to get back exactly. to that. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, what was your experience like as a player and what things have you taken from that and uh, brought it to your programs? And, and yeah. Sierra Canyon now? Uh, my experience as a player was kind of, it was great actually because I went to Cleveland High School when they were a top 25 school in the country. Mm. Uh, so in my four years, 16 of us went D1, wow. and I think probably like two or three went D2. Um, so it was a very competitive environment. Um, it taught me how to, how to be competitive, uh, how to compete every day, because practice for us was probably more difficult than games, mm -hmm. very physical. Finished practice almost every day with scratches and blood and all that. And, you know, I think that is really uh, indicative of how you like turn into a great player uh, and then also turn into a great coach, right? Because yeah. everything was hard. And I think when, when things are hard uh, is when you grow the most. Like I think adversity builds a man. And I think every day was, you know, it was an adversity in practice every day. Uh, and so I learned to compete every day at a high level. Uh, and that for me was great because when I went to college, CSUN was a first year D1. Oh wow. Yeah, my first year was their first year D1. Uh, and so stepping in, coming from Cleveland, and then playing with people who had D2 as their mindset, mm -hmm. uh, it was very difficult to be like, what are you guys doing? This is not what we do <laughs> on a daily basis. Uh, so that transition uh, was a little difficult because we weren't winning, uh, but I had been, you know, the foundation for me had been established. Was, this is the way you compete. This okay. is what success looks like. Uh, and so I think I learned so much in high school uh, about basketball and how to be successful in basketball. That's awesome. Who was your coach at Cleveland during the time? Uh, Bobby Braswell was my coach for three years, uh, and then he went to Long Beach State. Yeah. Uh, and then my senior year, Mark Paez was my coach. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, at Cleveland? At Cleveland. Oh, wow. And then yeah, you yeah. played for him at CSUN. No, when so I got to CSUN, uh, Pete Cassidy was the head coach. Okay. Uh, and then Braswell, when I, I graduated, I think Braswell took over like two or three years after I left CSUN. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Awesome. Um, now, with your style of game in college, you all-time assist leader, so true point guard. Um, what has changed about the game from when you were playing point guard 
if there are any changes, and to how you develop your point guards oh, now. The game, the game is way different than when I played. <laughs> the game is so much bigger than when I played. It's very rare that you see a small point guard anymore. Right. Right. Like the game is so big. Point guards are six three, six four, six five. Where when I was in college, that that could be a three man. If you go right. small, you can have a six two, six three, three guy. My, I mean, in some of my games, we had three six footers on the court at the same time. I think. Wow. That's, that would be unheard of, uh, you know, in today's game. Um, so, the, so the game is big right now. But as far as, like, I think, I think as a point guard, um, it, it is the most important position on the floor uh, because you take responsibility for everything, good and bad, right? If you throw a ball and somebody doesn't catch it, That's you're a turnover, yes. right? So I, I try to teach my point guards, if, if I could have the ideal point guard, it would be somebody that I could just sit back and let them run the team for three and a half quarters. Because you know the fourth quarter has to belong to me. There you go. <laughs> but for three and a half quarters, like uh, if they understand the system, um, if they understand you know the entirety of the system so they can direct and tell people what to do. Um, I think if you're a small point guard these days, you gotta play defense, yeah. gotta knock down a three. Uh, and one of the things that I try to tell people the most, you have to be able to communicate. Yeah. You gotta tell people where to go, what to do, how to do it, uh, and I think these days the kids are so friendly that they're afraid to be like, Todd, get, the, get over there, do right. your job. You got a position. And as a point guard, I think elite point guards, they don't mind talking, yes. directing, challenging. Now, that's, I literally told a group of kids that yesterday, one, uh, a bunch of uh, rising juniors, right, about to be juniors, and they all have the skills and talent and the game to be a college player. And to the point guards, I told them, I said, if you don't start talking, you will not have an opportunity to play Division One. Coaches are going in the gym. They already know you can hoop. They wouldn't be there if you couldn't hoop. They're seeing all the little stuff. And if you're a point mm -hmm. guard and not constantly talking, I say you need to be like a PA announcer. You need to be navigating the game no matter what's happening. If you're on, on. the court, off the court. And I said, as soon as you do that, I said, do that and do it consistently and mean it. I promise you'll probably, you'll probably have offers. Yes. That's the key. That's that's what's missing. You can be as good as you want to be, but that that voice takes you so far with coaches. So. It is the intangible of intangibles when it comes to uh, point guards, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, and I I just think that the best programs that I've had, somebody's been willing to say something to the team. Mm -hmm. Somebody's been willing to call a huddle. Coach, can I get a huddle real quick? And I'm like, go ahead, do your thing, right? So those teams are the ones that go to the next level. So if I'm talking to point guards right now, with all of the skills you have, please make sure that you use your voice. Yes. Use your voice with the players, communicate with the coach, see what he wants so that you can transition that to the court uh, with the team. And do not be afraid to challenge your teammates. If they want to be elite, they will be okay with it once practice or the game is over. Love that. So that's a, a question that pops in my head is then how do you hold the rest of the team accountable or how do you know that that point guard is ready to lead them with their voice? What determines the trust of the team for that point guard? Uh, it's not the trust of the team. It's the trust of me. Mm. Right. And so over time, I develop, I teach, like I deposit into them what I think a point guard should be. Um, I deposit time into them and communication into them that I, I hope will be ingrained in them enough, uh, and then you start to just gradually see that they're transitioning into a leadership role. Yeah. They'll say one thing or two things, uh, and then you're just like, oh, okay, he's already making the move. Let me push him and challenge him a little bit more. But if somebody's not moving, then I know I need to put more time into them. I need to nudge them a little bit more to just say something, call a huddle. Sometimes I'll walk by and whisper in his ear, you should call it a huddle right now. Mm -hmm. This is a good time for you to get your team together. And just kind of like lead by example, um, but also like lead with my voice and say, this is the time for you to, to make the move. No, I love that. I love that. Giving them the showing them first and then allowing them to do it and still being that support system for them. Yep. And that way they, they can go and fail Absolute, first so absolutely. they can be successful. And if it. they do take, take the challenge and make the move and they say something, sometimes even if I don't agree, I'm going to support what they say mm. because I want to encourage them to continue to do it right but then i'll pull them to the side or after and the next day call them in like yo you did this and i enjoyed it i thought it was good for you but that wasn't the right thing at the time 
right? So I think it's always like teaching and learning, right? Mm -hmm. Growing together uh, and just building trust. Trust is a huge thing. Awesome, man. If you don't mind sharing with people, um, there is a huge mentor role that you play with a lot of these kids. Yep. I don't think coaches coaches connect. A lot of them have a transactional relationship with, with players and a non-relational one. What does that look like mentoring a kid as far as um, the time that you spend with them off the basketball court and outside of practice and what is done in that time? So for me, I think the mentorship is the most important part of coaching, right? Because I want to develop great basketball players, but more importantly, I want to great, create and develop great men. Uh, and so that comes through a lot of like tough conversations, right? When things are not going right, can we sit down and have a conversation? Can the young man express to me exactly what's going on with him um, so that we can come to some resolution together, whether the problem's with me um, or with someone else? So I think that's very important. These days with, with like, you know, the social media, uh, some of the some of the elite level parents um, who are pushing their kids, it's hard to like get time away from basketball mm -hmm. or time away from school. Uh, when I was a younger coach, uh, especially at Cleveland, where the kids are low income and you know their parents just basically want you to keep them off the streets. <laughs> right. Like you're doing more things like barbecues and hanging out and mm -hmm. you know going on camping trips, uh, and so that was a wonderful time. Now I have to figure out how can I mentor through text, mm. right? Can I send a, a motivational text? Can I challenge them through a text before I get to the, you know, uh, the conversation face to face? So I just try to find other ways to try to mentor, um, you know, taking kids on trips around the world, giving them other cultural experiences. I think that's something that, you know, kind of changes their life when they see that the rest of the world operates differently. They eat different food. They speak differently. Uh, there are certain things that you can do in this culture that you can't do in that culture. So to me now, the mentorship is really coming through more experiences uh, and through the way that they communicate with us, which is text or FaceTime or whatever that is. No, that's good. That's, that's, I like that kind of adjusting to the generation um, and meeting them where they're at so you can still do what you're called to do. Amen. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I like that that you mentioned that you, you, know, you guys travel. So I remember one year you guys traveled thirty thousand miles. Was it thirty seven thousand miles? <laughs> Almost forty thousand. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, we won't do that again. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> that experience, I'm sure, was amazing for all the players to yeah. you know just get to see all that. What kind of what else do we not see? Is that oh yeah, Sierra Canyon is going to China to go play. Um, what else do we not see that benefits the players from those types of trips and the coaches? Oh, I, I mean, I think players and coaches alike, people rarely travel outside of a, I think a 20 or 30 mile radius of their home. Mm. So for us to take them, you know, to the other side of the world, um, I think it's a life-changing experience uh, for players and coaches. Uh, many of my coaches had never been out of the country before. They're just mm. getting passports. Wow. Uh, so to be able to get a player a passport, uh, and have them go through that experience and start to get stamps in their in their passport. I mean, I think that alone uh, is life changing. But when we go to China, like you know, we're eating the food, right? Mm. We're talking about the food and the differences in is the, the food. food. Good. Uh, we're talking about the differences <laughs> in the food. No, I'm not gonna say that. Okay. Some of the food is very good. I think mm. it's just a challenge because they eat some things that we don't. And then they, they cook food to certain textures that we don't really eat. Mm. So I think it just takes time to get acclimated to um, yeah. to the food. But yeah, it's delicious food over there. Obviously, they, they, they know how, well, I'm going to say one of the, I, I, I'm a seafood person. Okay. And we went to a small town in China. And they were pulling crawfish out of the water and cooking them on the spot. And it was the best crawfish that I've ever oh, had that's fresh in food. my life. <laughs> that's organic. <laughs> they, they, it's, it's a crazy combination of spice, but they add sweet pickles to it, and they're mm. cooking it right in front of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are crawfish like lobsters? Were you <laughs> hear them scream? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. You can, I didn't even know you hear lobsters scream. So it's hilarious. Can. Me and my wife were watching a show last night, and they uh, – it's a dating show or whatever, and a girl brings home a lobster and it's alive still. And this dude's afraid of alive creatures or whatever. And he like runs from her. And my wife says, she's like, 
man, I can't stand it here. Like I couldn't cook a lobster because they mm-hmm. scream as they're getting boiled. You you know, you just boil them. And yeah. You could hear them scream. I'm like, that's his fault. He shouldn't have got caught. I said, some lobsters <laughs> swim freely. <laughs> it's a life lesson. <laughs> I'm not going to have no problem with them screaming because right. I'm about to eat, eat the lobster. So I'm from Maryland and, and it's the like the blue crab capital. Oh, okay. And so um, when you get the blue crab, they're alive. So you have to cook them. So you steam them for the most part, but but when you start dropping them in the pot, they are like running out of the pot, and they're connecting their claws so that you can't put the crabs them crabs in the barrel. Yeah, they are literally connecting their claws. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, so nice. so it is a trip, uh, but but every trip that we take, it, it we play basketball, but it's not for the basketball. Right, it's for the the experience of um, going to China and seeing what their culture is like how their culture is different. Our trip to China uh, was a, a little bit more personal for us because uh, Harold was on our team, the 7'4 oh, Chinese yeah, yeah. kid. And so we wanted our players to see what Harold had to deal with on an everyday basis living in the United States, not really liking the food, not mm-hmm. being able to speak the language, not knowing how to navigate the streets. And so that experience for them gave them a little bit more respect for Harold and what he was dealing with every day in the United States. So that's what that trip was for. So the lessons that they got from that, I think will last them a lifetime. Yeah, that's awesome. And then we went to Europe last year and the oh, history yeah. of Europe, you know, we went to Rome, oh, uh, yeah. we went to France, we went to London. Uh, and so, you know, all of the history that's there. We went to the Louvre, um, you know, every experience that you can have in those places, we try to give them those experiences, so. No, that's amazing where yeah. basketball can take you, like, oh, you yes. know, all of our dream growing up is to be in the NBA and all that or play pro. And, and it's cool to see even you and your coaches, um, you know, you, you went straight to work out of college and mm-hmm. began coaching after. And so you still got that experience because of hoop, and, you know, yes. by being a coach. And I think it's important for the kids to hear that. And you can experience this life, like stay connected to this game mm-hmm. and it can give you all your hopes and dreams, right. even if you sh- you're not actually playing on the court. Yeah, there's so many things that you can do around basketball that can like elevate your life, change your life, uh, create generational wealth. It's not mm-hmm. only about being on the court, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there's managerial positions. Now there are video positions. There, there are all kinds of things that you can do around the game. Uh, and I think sometimes the players don't want to see clearly what that is because they're so intent on becoming a player. Uh, but you can become a player and start preparing yourself for other aspects in the game, just in case the player thing doesn't happen. Uh, but yes, please explore all of the game because uh, there are definitely creative opportunities out there for you that, that can take your life to the next level. 100%. And the ball stops bouncing one day. You're going to have to transition from playing one day. And look, I guess, you know, there's some people who oh, Vince Carter played. He was, what, 57, it felt like. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but besides, yeah, and he still has a transition in the broadcasting and everything he's doing. So. I think that's um that's good to hear and good to know and these kids to start start thinking about that now because yeah. the the game is quick. Like our yeah. playing days happen fast. Yes. And so yeah. Um now transitioning, you've been able to coach um you probably know the numbers. Thirty plus division one players. Oh yeah. Thirty plus, mm-hmm. maybe probably more. Um I can count ten NBA players oh. at least. What is your experience like coaching that elite level player that has the, the potential to make it to a you know division one level and then even the pros and like you said, building their character? Because I know for them, it's a lot about basketball. They've been yes. putting the work in. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance building that character and what does that look like? Well, for me, we, we have a culture at Sierra Canyon or wherever I'm at. Uh, there's a culture that I have set and that we try to abide by. Uh, and we try to hold that culture no matter who comes through the doors. Mm-hmm. So everybody is held uh, you know, to the same standard. So we know that there are players who are more talented, more talented than other players, uh, but we think those players should be held to a higher standard. So if you're an elite player, you're capable of scoring 25 and you know, creating wins for us, you should be the first one in the gym. Yes. You should not be late, right? We have a rule at Sierra Cannon. Uh, it's called SC time. So if I say you have to be somewhere at three, you have to be there at 250. If you ain't there at 250, you need to start calling coaches and texting players and let them know where you, you know, why you're late or when you're getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just try to create, 
you know, opportunities for them to, to be responsible, uh, for them to live inside of a culture. Uh, because no matter where, where you go, what you do, uh, you're going to have to report to somebody. And so following in the culture, uh, being a part of the culture for the most part, uh, is going to be something that allows you to be successful. So no matter how good you are, we want to make sure you hold to that culture. Now, some years are more difficult than others, right? There's players who, who think they're so good that they can challenge the system. And so as a coach, you have to decide, you know, where are you going to go? Uh, how far are you going to go before you draw the line? Um, are you going to even move at all? Um, and so over the last couple of years, we've been moving the line a little bit. Uh, but I think it's very important that we get back to holding the line uh, because if you look at Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, and let's drop to the high school level. If you look at Mount Verde and you, know, you look at Oak Hill, those guys have a culture and they hold the culture. No matter who you are, you're abiding by what they want you to do, all right? Because I think they think that the, that the culture in the school uh, is just as important um, to the player as the player is to the institution. And so holding the culture is important, challenging them to have tough conversations, pushing them out of their comfort zone, right? Because they come in uh, with a certain routine and they think they have all the answers and they don't have all the answers. <laughs> Every person at our level, high school, whether you're a senior or a freshman, you have tons to learn. Man. Do not go into any program thinking that you know it all, especially if you're a five-star and everybody's been giving you everything and telling you that you're great, you should always go into every opportunity, every situation, knowing that you have something to learn. And if you do that, uh, it will make you more elite than you already are. 100%. I, I learned that from, from two players while training them. Uh, one was LeBron, the other was Rajon Rondo. That really stuck out that Rajon is like, He's a basketball genius. He's a savant. Like 100%. I agree he taught me that. some stuff that like, man, what do you even, how do you even think about that? Yeah. But he was still attentive even when I would talk about a move and I'm, you know, I'm the assistant to Chris Johnson while he's training. Mm -hmm. But even when I said something for basketball, he was like in tune, listen. And I'm like, man, you, you know, more than anything, but he was still ready to learn. Yeah. And I think that's super important that, most of those guys at that level, they're still willing to learn. Yes. The moment you stop learning is the moment you stop growing. Yeah. Period. And that's, that's in life. That's not just yes. basketball. I think that just across the board in life, uh, there's always something for you to learn and an opportunity for you to get better. And the more we embrace that, I think the higher levels that we can go to. 100%. Uh, so you've dealt with, so you, and I like that, the tough conversations. You, you keep mentioning tough conversations. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And so what I've learned as, you know, assistant coach for many years and then even with these middle school parents and consulting and helping and all that, mm -hmm. I know you're talking about having tough conversations with the kids. How do you include the parents? Do you include them at all? And what does that dynamic look like between the communication of coach, player, parent, coach? Let me clear up first that, that tough conversations for me is just across life. Mm. Right, because you might have to have a tough conversation with your wife, yeah. right? Might have to have a tough conversation with your kid or your father or mother. And I think for our kids, you know, there's tough conversations that happen with teachers, Yeah, right? <laughs> like we, we try to tell our kids, you should be running to the problem, not away from the problem. So that means that if you, if you ditched or you missed school or missed work, you need to run to that teacher and tell them, love, I, I made a mistake. Um, what can I do to resolve the problem? Um, so the tough conversations go across the board. For me, coach the player, I'd love to have a, a hundred conversations with the player before I have to have a coach uh, a conversation with the parent. So I try to encourage the conversation one-on-one -on -one, um, with me and the player. If for some reason we can't come to a resolution, then we try to invite the, the parent in um, you know, to get to a resolution that everybody is happy with. Sometimes we get happy, sometimes you don't. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think that there's ever going to be a time where everybody agrees 100%. Right. Um, but I think the beginning of resolution is being able to walk into my office and say, Coach, why am I not playing? What am I doing wrong? Right? And then my, my response to like, 
I'll tell them exactly what it is, but are you watching film? Yeah. Like we're filming practice every single day. Are you watching film? Go watch film. I think that'll tell you a lot. Uh, the great thing about us, we film every practice. So the player and the parent can go watch the practice. Right. So if a parent ever calls me, I can say, are you watching the practice film? Before you come in, just take some time to watch the practice film. But Important. the tough conversation, uh, it has to happen uh, if you want growth and if you want success. Uh, one of the things we do within our program is called a powwow. So we have meetings where it's open forum, player coaches. The coaches can say to another coach, the players can talk to a, a coach, the players can talk to a player because we believe those meetings will allow us to resolve any problems that could be a cancer or poison um, you know, to our success. So that's a tough conversation as well, right? Because it's a group of 15 to 20 of us in a room. Yeah. And if I don't like something you're doing, I'm like, Todd, the other day you did this, I didn't like it very much. What was your thinking? And then you get to express to me what you were thinking or be like, I don't really care what you think. I, this is what I think is the best for me and our program. And I think you should follow. And you know, you get to have that conversation and whether you agree or not, there's a bit of respect there that you were able to express. Um, so we do our, everything that we do with tough conversations is to lead to healing uh, and to lead to growth. Yeah, conflict resolution. That's awesome. Uh, this generation of kids have missed that dynamic because parents step in so much to protect their kids. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is, I think that's, I don't know, it should be primary, especially in middle school. What we do with our kids is that we teach them, you know, we go biblically, it's the same thing you're doing. You go to that person first. If you can't mm -hmm. solve it, bring in people. If y'all can't solve it. So I, I have the kids, hey, you got an issue? Go talk to them one on one. Absolutely. If they don't receive you, come get me. Now, if they don't receive me, we're getting both sets of parents. We're going to meet and, and do that. And yeah. it is people feel free after they do it. They're so it's such an intimidating thing walking into those tough conversations or that conflict and having to resolve it. And so that's why I try to get it in middle school. I'm like, this, when you go to high school, it's, you know, kids inspire to go to Sierra Canyon. Mm -hmm. I'm like, <laughs> Y'all think I'm crazy. Y'all think I'm mean. I was like, yo, he ain't got reads for nothing. I said, there's a, a discipline and there's a yeah. structure there that you, you have to be prepared for or willing to grow into. And if you can't handle this little conflict with your sixth grade friend, mm -hmm. it's going to be tough to go to any of these top schools, you know, just talking in the valley. Yeah. Like, you guys, this is y'all livelihood. <laughs> this is what y'all do is coach mentor and bring up these youth and, and mm -hmm. they have to want it yes. i think that's the things they have to want to be coached and the moment you become uncoachable and start making excuses and not just getting better it's like yeah. they don't understand that's all coaches want is for y'all to be like i got you coach and mm -hmm. keep trying hard because we yes. don't know when you're going to break out and be this next level player and exactly. it, it just happens one day but only mm -hmm. when you're willing to go through the fire for that yeah, I think we've had a couple players come to us and they tell me that like they thought it was going to be easy. And I'm like, <laughs> you obviously don't watch us play if you think what we do is easy. There's nothing easy about this. But what I want to say is that if you are looking for easy, you're not looking for greatness. Right. There's no way that you are going to be great if you just want easy. Right. You have to know that everything is going to be hard and difficult. And I think adversity builds a man. Yeah. So the adversity is not put there to stop you. It's put there to see how much do you really want it. Mm -hmm. Are you gonna go over? Are you gonna go around? Are you gonna go under? Mm -hmm. Or are you gonna bust through this adversity and find more success on the other side? So if you're looking for easy, um, one, don't come to Sierra Canyon. If you're looking for easy, <laughs> number two, if you're looking for easy, I just don't think that you are going to find great success. Uh, everybody who has, achieve greatness they've dealt with adversity in their career 100 percent, man i love it that that's what separated that's when it clicked for me was after college too and you know i was kind of i want to say a late bloomer because the mental side didn't catch up with the physical side mm -hmm. and my college coach felt like he didn't believe in me told me set screens and play defense i had a little bit more than that but that's what i was showing him in practice i wasn't showing the other things i can do my yeah. confidence sank when he came in because and it's, it's the opposite. I was super coachable. Yeah. I was the hardest worker. I won every sprint. You want, want to work out, I'm there. But I was, I was 
just non-confident when he came around because of yeah. the this fence he put around me and mm-hmm. I couldn't break through that the the mental toughness to overcome that I didn't realize I didn't have until I couldn't play for I could I lost my eligibility not lost it mm-hmm. I just you know ran out of eligibility graduated and tried to hey let me try to go overseas or whatever and I stopped caring because there was nobody to coach me or to hold me to whatever they thought I was. Yeah. And that's when I got good. I was like, oh, I'm actually good at basketball. Mm-hmm. And it was like a little too late. So I think it's that's why I I think that's why I do what I do. It's like I don't want any other kid to ever go through that. I that's want cool. you to be so mentally tough that even if I don't think you're a division one player and you're like, hey, you probably, you know, you can go yeah. to a lower level, you could play college ball, you're not division one. Mm-hmm. I want you to hear that. Take my assessment, but man, don't yeah. listen to me. Go break through that. Yep. One, Please prove me wrong. I want 100%. that chip on your shoulder. Yeah, so. I think what with, with parents sometimes that's that's a tough thing, because when they see their kids struggling, they want to fix it, mm-hmm. hurry up and fix it. And you're like, you gotta let them go through this struggle, right? They're they're going to eventually get to a place where they understand the system, they understand flow, and they understand where they fit in. So if you go from one program to another and uh, it's easy and it's no challenge, then what did you go to that next program for? Yeah. Right? There's going to be adversity. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be differences. And how do you figure out where do you fit into the system? Do you understand the system? Do you understand progressions? Mm-hmm. Do you understand where you fit in and what your skill level is? And then there's, there's players who are built to be role players. Mm-hmm. And they can be wonderful role players. Role players can get Division One scholarships. Yes. But they don't want to be a role player. And it's really what they're, what they're built to do. Yeah. You're a role player. You can do everything, a little bit of everything. You may not score 25, but your, your stat line is going to be something that leads to us winning. Yes. And you just have to be willing to accept that this is who I am. Don't try to be somebody else. Be the best version of you. And I promise you, if you do that, if it's meant to be, you will find a place in whatever program that you're in. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, that was, um, that was, we, we had, I had Derek Fisher on here yesterday and I told him, I said, man, growing up for me, he was the best role player ever. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, sir. man, you I fit in that. perfectly between a Shaq and a Kobe and mm-hmm. everybody else. Like, yeah. and you could tell he, he could do more, yeah. but this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And he even explained why he did that, yeah. which was dope. Check out the uh, Derek Fisher podcast if you haven't Absolutely. seen it yet. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's I think that's important to find yeah. your role and then grow from there. That doesn't mean right. that you can't. Jimmy Butler started as a role player. <laughs> look at him now. Yes. And look at him I mean? now. Like, I mean, I think the craziest thing I was uh, Joker was a, was the second round draft pick, yeah. right? Like he had to walk into his role and grow into his role. He didn't walk in as a two time MVP. Right. But he's willing to get into the system to work, to ask questions, to get extra gym time, right? Like when you get to a high level program, there's practice, there's school, right? There's all of this stuff. There's weights. You do all of this. You still have to find time to yes. get shots up. Yep. Go get on the gun. Work on your handles. Do something outside of the game. Um, you know, and, and when you do those little, what we call extra, when you're doing extra, extra starts to show up in your game and you become undeniable and yes. you know but you got to work at it and it's not supposed to be easy and nobody's going to give you anything you know parents like oh players are coming in behind me well this is life this is <laughs> the, the world of basketball you are going to have if you're if you plan on going to college and playing elite level basketball nowadays with the portal you ain't going to just have freshmen coming mm-hmm. in behind you you're gonna have a senior coming in that's older than you that has more experience. You have somebody coming in that's the same grade, age as you, same amount of experience. Mm-hmm. And then you have younger guys, all who are coming after your position. You have to hold your ground and be confident in who you are. If you're worrying about the next man, it's going to affect your play and affect your playing time. Right. How do you deal with that? Because you're at a high level program in high school where you have juniors and seniors every year that are going to college, either committed or highly recruited and then you also have top freshmen and sophomore coming into the school what is that conversation like because i know for me you know a lot of high level eighth graders come from my program and yes. oh, i'm, I'm going on varsity i'm gonna start but i'm like 
what school are you going to? <laughs> That's what I asked. It's like, right. what school are you going to? Because if you're going to a basketball school, you, you might need to be okay with playing JV for a year to develop. One. What's that conversation like with those, those players, those so younger players? So first, I just try to, like, look, look at the track record, right? Like, look at who I've coached and how they progress, right? Because if you look at Amari Bailey, he didn't start as a freshman. Right. He barely got playing time. And in and, and one of our playoff games, he didn't see the court, right? The second year, he probably was a starter, but he was a defender. He was a passer. He didn't shoot a whole lot. But by the time he got to his junior year, he was averaging 35, right? right. Like, you know, there becomes a, a time where you get let go. But there's something that you have to learn in those years, one year, two year, whatever it is, so that you understand the makeup of this higher level game, right? There, there are certain players that, whether they're going freshman in college or freshman in high school, they're just good enough. They come in, they're, they're either their size, their skill level, their understanding allows them to get minutes and be a starter, mm -hmm. right? But be patient and progress, right? Like running from team to team or transferring every year, I don't think that speaks to you learning a system and being comfortable right. in a system. If you go to a new system every year, you have to learn a new system. You're never going to get comfortable with it and be able to fully show yourself, right? right? Like be comfortable, get comfortable, stay somewhere for a little while. And then I think the more you do that, the more your game evolves, the more you understand uh, what the coach is looking for uh, and you understand being a part of something that's growing over time. Uh, yes. And, you know, the more you do that, I think the more you find success and greater success. Now, I think you see it. Um, three programs come to mind just in the Valley. Uh, I look at, well, it was Crespi when Russ White was there. Absolutely. You guys that's here, Kane and Harvard Westlake. Mm -hmm. The system is undefeated. <laughs> it doesn't it's matter who comes through there. You're developing into a college player. You're playing high-level basketball, and you're, you're doing it. And it's like, look at those systems that last that long, titles, mm -hmm. right? You, and you mm -hmm. have the, the, the proof is in the pudding. You guys yeah. are putting banners up. And kids still don't, they're looking at the me, 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 me. Yeah. And so I think that's, a, you know, that's, that's a, the biggest factor is to, like basketball, the team game. Yeah. Figure your role out be humble, learn yeah. under people, even if you're ready. I, now, even if you're ready, I yeah. think because Amari probably could have went in a sophomore year and averaged 30, mm -hmm. but would have mm -hmm. been good for the team, good for his development, and where exactly. he is now, probably going to get drafted. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, Amari has an uncanny ability to, to really, like, wherever he goes, he can look at that situation and see, like, what's needed? Mm, yeah. This is what's needed? I'm going to do this. And so that, that is very rare for somebody his age, because even at 9, 10, he went to USA Basketball. He's like, oh, y'all not going to do this? I'm going to do this. Mm, so he earned, yes, he, he earned sense. a spot on the team. Um, but I think it's also hard, too, because this is a culture of immediate gratification, right? If I want food, I can Uber Eats that thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If I want information, I can just Google it. Yeah. So they're like, oh, this is supposed to happen for me now. And so when it comes to something that you really have to work at and it don't come now, they're like, something's wrong. Yeah. I got to go to this place because this place is going to give it to me now. And then they find out they get there, oh, you can't get it now here either? I'm going to go to another place and I'm going to get it now. Yes. Nah, by the time you, every time you go to a new place, you, get in, you think you're going to get it now? Nah, you, if you stay somewhere over a period of time, it's going to be a point where it just clicks and nobody's going to know where it came from. But you're all of a sudden going to understand the system, the flow, and where you fit in. And then it's going to be smooth sailing from there. Absolutely. I think, uh, so I've had a lot of, NBA players, kids, and core throughout the years. You've had a lot of NBA players, kids in your program throughout the years. Do you see that patience with kids whose parents have been through it? I Yes. The NBA mm. players, kids understand that one game doesn't mean anything. Mm. It's something over time, right? Like if you lose a game in the middle of the season, the NBA player is like, oh, no, Murray, it's all right. Like we worry about what's happening at the end of the year. Uh, but the people who, you know, have not been a part of a team um, or a sport, right, every little thing matters. If you have one bad game, it's like the end of the world. Or uh, we lost, like it's the end of the world. Uh, and that's not, the, that's not the way with the NBA guys, especially the, the elite level ones who have won championships. They know that, like, it's a progression. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to take a hit. Sometimes circumstances are going to cause you, right? Like sometimes you go to Hoopball East, you play on Monday, you're playing at one o'clock, 
which is really 10 o'clock in the morning. All right. We can't practice on Sunday, so we skipping the practice, mm. right? You traveling Saturday. You can't play. You can't practice Sunday then play one o'clock on Monday, right? Ain't no shoot around. <laughs> You're playing at one. You ain't getting no shoot around right. in the morning. Circumstances sometimes affect the game. Right. But when, when things are working right and you can have your pregame meal, you can have your shoot around, you can do things that are methodical and that you're, you're used to doing, then, you know, later on in the year, all of these experiences are going to culminate uh, in success. And so that, that's why everybody like, oh, my God, it must be nerve wracking, you know, having the NBA people around. But they are the ones who are usually the most like even because <laughs> yeah. they understand that it is a progression. And so I, I really have appreciated that. Uh, with them over the last few years. That's awesome. Now, with that, so you've been, you guys traveled the world with the program. Uh, you got a, a show, TV show. What kind of impact did that have on you and the players as far as staying the course, keeping the culture, you know, within the program? Very hard, right? When every move you make, there's a camera involved. Like in the locker room, there's a camera. When we get on the bus, there's a camera. Mm. Obviously, you know, there's cameras at the games, like 50 of them <laughs> right. um, at the game. Um, but I think sometimes it doesn't allow the players to be their natural selves and to like actually really bond, mm. right? So sometimes I have to tell the camera, nah, you don't get to go in the locker room or we're going on a team trip. You can't go on a team trip because they genuinely just want to connect with each other with, you know, no pub, no Instagram clips, no none of that. Um, you know, so that, that, that's hard when you want to try to grow your and bond your team. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of what these kids are going through these days and, you know, the social media could be a, a good thing or a bad thing, right? right? We want to, we want to be able to like do this and have these conversations with them, right? Because if you can't get rid of the monster, let's learn how to deal with the monster. Let's talk about building the brand. Let's talk about what it's going to look like when you go to college. So one of the things that we try to do is we try to give our players every experience that they're gonna have at the college level, right? We can't do it at the highest level because we don't have the same money that they have, but if we give them a little bit of experience, when they get to the college level, they're gonna be like, oh, I've been here before. Just familiar. Uh, yes, I've done this before, so I'm not panicking. Where other freshmen might be panicking because they've never had a camera on their, in their face. They've never been on television. They've never played in front of 15,000 people, right? So anything that we can do to give them an experience, uh, we try to do. Uh, and I think we were a bit cutting edge. Like, I saw forward that the media stuff was going to happen and it wasn't yeah. going to be a way for us to stop it. So I'm like, all right, we're going to dive into this thing. Attack the conflict. And see what happens. <laughs> uh, and luckily, we won some games and it, it worked out for us, right? Like, we won a couple times, couple championships before, you know, Bronny and LeBron came. And I, I think that's the thing that allowed them, you know, drew them to us. They're doing basketball and media, mm. they're comfortable with it. And so we just try to push through the challenges and, and teach them that there's a time for the media and there's a time for you to lock in whether there's a camera here or not, right? Yeah. And so uh, it worked out for us uh, over time, uh, but you know, we will have to make some adjustments uh, <laughs> because we, we, winning is the most important thing. And so we, ha we have to make sure we're getting back to locking into to the, the fundamentals of what allows us to win. Yeah, so finding, finding that balance through Hey, attacking this, giving the kids the experience and Absolutely. kind of what they earn and deserve for mm -hmm. the work they put in. Because um, you guys, you know, you performed on that level yeah. with all of that attention. And, you know, some of it could be distractions to some of those kids, especially the younger ones and not understanding. Absolutely. That. I got a question for you. Yes. I'm going to flip the script. Please. So you just asked me about the media. Yes. I want to ask you about the NIL. What do you think about NIL? How is it going to affect the game? And how is it already affecting the high school kids uh, who are moving into the, the who, some of them are already in states where they can get paid as high school right. players, but as they're moving into college, how is it going to affect them, their parents in the game? So what we do at CORE, I'm going to speak to that, is that we prepare them for their branding and marketing and set Wonderful. them up mm -hmm. to be prepared for NIL. Now, the truth of the matter is, is only like 3% of the kids that are in high school, or no, it's 1% of the kids in high school are actually receiving NIL money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're talking about the top of the top and the people who are usually connected because their social media following is so high. So, yeah. you know, we had like Sky Clark, huge following out since middle school, high school, all the way yeah. through it. So his NIL opportunities came early when he went to college. 
But then you have other guys who um, may have had our kid, uh, Noah Clowney, right? Went to Alabama, mm-hmm. didn't get invited to any high-level camps, any of that. He just kind of developed into an NBA player. supposed to be a first-round pick. And we had a discussion today. He was just like, they didn't invite me to nothing. I've just been hooping. And so his opportunity for NIL came through him just being good at basketball. Yeah. And so I think that's the key is that uh, people have done such a great job of keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's how you maximize your money. We were, uh, who was I just talking to about this? We we're just having this conversation. Is that I was talking to an agent, actually, and we we're just talking about how LeBron kept basketball number one. Mm-hmm. Everything else followed. He's a billionaire now. Yeah. Kobe, he wanted to be the best player ever. Mm-hmm. Everything else followed. And so that's what we teach the kids is get your butt in the gym. Do the work. Now I'm going to show you how we show them in social media training. Hey, show your personality. This yeah. is what Instagram is for. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. want to show your character through what you post on there. Yeah. TikTok, that's where you get the followers. That's the new marketing beast. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to get the the deals, right? That's where you're going to get some money for your image and likeness. Yeah. And then Twitter is a news feed about you. So feed the people what's happening in your life when it result when it comes to you being a student athlete. And so we kind of separate the social media, we build it up. And then after that, it's about being good. I think once you get the following and, you know, you got the the videos, make sure ball is life at all your games. And you get that. How it's changing the game is that the kids who are not good think that anybody can get a highlight video and get followers <laughs> and think that they have an opportunity to make NIL. Yeah. So you have a, a very unique perspective, right? Because you deal with high school and middle school. Mm-hmm. So you get them, I, I call my high school, I'm getting them early, but you get them super early, mm-hmm. right? So some of the things that I find is like, I have some players who are playing the game to get a highlight. Yes. They're not playing to get a win or do the right thing. They're playing a the game to legitimately get a highlight mm-hmm. to be at a post on their social media. Have you dealt with that? And how do you, how do you navigate and deal with that? <laughs> so, you know, my, mainly I'm, I'm with the middle schoolers, right? And so we don't allow them to do it because it's so, we have them every day for an hour and a half and it's structured. And so, hey, you have a two triple limit. Let's see if you can show me a highlight off of that. And guess what? If you yeah. do a highlight off us playing the game the right way, I'm going to post it. Take it. And and, and I'm going to send it to the right people. There's no college coaches in middle school. There's no Mm -hmm. college coaches recruiting middle schoolers. You can't talk to a a college coach until June. Was it first? Yeah. Yeah, So today, right? (laughs) If you're after your sophomore year, Mm -hmm. the whole goal before that is to just be ready to get recruited. And so we, we, I I just tell kids straight up, your highlights come from playing basketball the right way. Just be good. Um, Now, People believe that core teaches kids all these handles and stuff and like playing the game the wrong way. I get it a lot. It's pretty interesting because high school coaches call me back. I'm like, man, what are you guys doing there? He dribbles. Over. I'm like, listen, we have them every day for 10 months and we usually get them in sixth, seventh grade. Um, at some point, we teach them advanced handling because if you can handle the ball, you get anywhere you can on the court. It's not my job as a middle school coach to coach your your system and your program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's up to you. Yeah. And so if they're making bad, I promise you they know how to make good passes. They know how to do things the right way. But if you're not holding them accountable to it, they're going to do what they, they're going to do what's fun. They're mm-hmm. going to play freely and loose because I believe there's a creativity that's lost in basketball now with some of the old school mindset. They haven't understood that the game has evolved tremendously mm-hmm. in the last even Five to six years, it's yeah. changed yeah. because of the talent and the skill level that these kids have. Yeah. And I'm like, you have to implement who these kids are into your style of play. Yeah, you can play the right way, but they're they're not going to. You have to have them let them have a little freedom. No, you and do. So, and, and again, coming from your program, they're still babies. Babies. So <laughs> you you have to still as a coach. Nah, you're not doing that here. <laughs> Or just, you know, you're not ready for that at this level yet. Yes. You know what I mean? But some kids are going to be able to use the advanced dribble and be able to be successful. Yeah. So you have to let them explore as well. Yeah. Right? Let them have a little bit of freedom. Uh, and then when they get closer to it. So this is where, like, I struggle a bit is because, like, in the summer and fall, people are talking so much about wins and losses. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I'm playing 
12 or 13 people and I'm letting my kids try right. new things. They, the only way they evolve is if I allow them to evolve. So we might take a loss. We're going to be in the game. We might take a loss because I'm allowing, you know, my seven footer. He shoots the three ball yep. very well, but he won't shoot the three ball. So in the summer and fall, I'm going to make him shoot the three ball. Yes. Right. Because I want him to evolve and grow for the season. Everybody is so hung up on every win or every loss, whether it's where summer is supposed to be development and fall development. It's still, oh, Sierra Kane not going to be that good. They're losing games in the fall. Okay. Crazy. Like, this, <laughs> this, is, this is where they're supposed to be developing. So to the coaches out there, I'm going to say, like, if you're a young coach, I know you want to win every game. But sometimes the development of your kid is more important than that. So yes. have some freedom to let them be free, play a little bit, uh, and then you can always rein things back in uh, when it's necessary. It, it's uh, I think that's super important because it, it speaks to the control, right? The control factor. I think a lot of head coaches get a program and they want ultimate control of everything and, and how, how the player plays, moves, and year-round. Yeah. And it's like that control is what's going to hinder their growth. Exactly. And that that freedom for them to go, hey, man, go have fun. Summer, mm -hmm. especially in the spring. If y'all tripping on the spring, then get another job. Yeah, we don't <laughs> even, I don't even, you go play for whatever club you go. I don't have no, I don't want no control. I don't want no, if you have a question, I'll give you my advice. But go play for different people. Somebody else is going to let you play a different role or let you explore your game. And then I want my kids to go out and get better. Yes. And then let me bring them back together. So I'm not going to dictate who you're playing for and what you're right. doing, right? I don't, I mean, I, you know, I, I control certain parts of the game, but we throw, we throw balls off the backboard. We're throwing right. stuff behind our back. Like we're trying right. to play the game and have fun at the same time. And I think that you can do that. And that's what we're going to keep on doing. No, absolutely. I hope I answered your question about the NIL and, and, and all of that. You um, got me. I, I, I need it. <laughs> I have some ideas, but I, I just needed to hear you. No, absolutely. Um, so we're going to hop into our next segment. Um, I'm putting you on the spot. All right. It's called My Rushmore. Your top four. And for you, since you've been in the Valley for forever, it mm -hmm. feels like your top four high school players in the Valley, San Fernando Valley. Top four players All right. ever. I'm going to have to be biased on this first one. Okay. And I'm going to say Trevor Wilson uh, is one of my people. He played at Cleveland, okay. uh, then played at UCLA. Uh, he was very dominant in high school, uh, so I'm going to go with him first. Um, Gilbert Arenas, I'm going to have to go with Gilbert. He was a beast at the high school <laughs> level, probably like could score 50 whenever he wanted to. Um, Drew Holiday with just what he did at, at Campbell Hall. Yeah. I mean, they dominated the Valley, him and his brother, for a very long time. Uh, and then to do what he's done at, at UCLA and then in the league, I think it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, I don't know. Do we count Simi Valley as the Valley? I'm, I'm, a, hmm. I'm just going to go four and a half. Cause I'm a, okay, uh, we'll do that. That's I got to put Don McClain on this list. Okay. Because okay. Don McClain, <laughs> as much as I thought his game was in high school boring, he was a Straight monster. Bucket. Straight bucket. <laughs> he was a monster. And we, when I played at Cleveland, we played See Me Valley like often. Mm. And the, the games were ridiculous. And he was, he was just special. Um, so I'm going to have to go Don McLean. Oh, and then this the other person. Oh, wow. I want to say, I don't know which one of the Collins twins <laughs> was the best one, but, but they were very good in high school as well. I want to make sure I'm not disrespecting the city here. I got to make sure that, that I get some city section people. So you had Jordan oh, Farmer, you had Nick Young, you had, um, who else was good then? I'm trying to think of other people in the city. Yes. Um, Nick and Jordan were both just man, special. Like, ridiculous and, and the fact that they played in the same league with each other uh, and the fact that I got to watch it was just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the best seat in the house, like watching them go at each other. I don't think that anybody has ever been able to score the ball like Nick. Like, I yeah. think Nick, even in the NBA, was right. like 
he probably wasn't playing defense, but I, I don't think that anybody could stop him. <laughs> he just couldn't stop anybody else. Uh, I guess I'm gonna go with Nick. I'm gonna go with Nick just because yeah. I'm, I'm biased on it. I got two Cleveland guys, um, but yeah, Don McLean, Simi Valley. I, I got. All right, yeah, we'll put him in as a, a, a Valley adjacent. Exactly. Uh, my four. So I haven't been in the Valley as long. Okay. I've been I've been living out here since '07. Grew up in the IE, so I still knew about Nick and Jordan and okay. all that. Um, and from and I, I went back and watched film. So all right, my mine's a different. I guess a different. Tell me, so I can disagree with you. Go. Well, Drew Holiday's <laughs> number one, and, and it's not in yeah. order, but Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, I did follow Drew, his whole pretty much his whole career. Yeah, and uh, sheesh, that boy is just. Is yeah, when you're talking about somebody who could do anything, like he they put him in the post, he mm-hmm. play point, he do everything, and literally made everyone around him better. Yeah. I think that's the epitome of a really good basketball player. So Drew, yeah. ah man, this is rough. I'm gonna go Jordan Farmar. Okay, I his swagger and his confidence, man. Far and none. Just, just, and. He willed his team. It, and he, yeah, he, he was the he ultimate leader. And coached <laughs> yes. his team to championships for sure. Yes. Yeah, I, it feels like I'm gonna pick all point guards here. Um who else? I'm trying to think of when I was coaching, if there was anybody who stood out when I was coaching the heritage and played a lot of good people. Man, I, I personally it might be Amari. Because because of his ability to fit in on those first two teams, but then his junior and senior year, uh, unstoppable, man. Unstoppable. There was nobody who could stop him. And I think he willed you guys to some wins when things came against it. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it, the COVID year where he pretty much averaged 35 in the in the playoffs, I've never seen anybody do anything like what he did uh, in my time in the Valley. So yeah. I'm not going to argue that. And then last... Anthony Melton comes to mind. It's just that I'm talking. I'm thinking over the the four years. So I'm not going to be you know into the '90s. I wasn't yeah. here. So or, or the early 2000s. So yeah. no no offense to Gill and Don McLean and them the y'all y'all old timers. Uh, <laughs> I'll uh, take that. I'll take that. <laughs> trying to think who else was just ridiculous. I'm trying to think of man. It might it might be Anthony Melton for me. So you you skipping over Marvin Bagley. Well, okay, so we're doing guys who weren't here their whole career. Oh, you going? Oh, because because I, I thought about that as well. Because mm-hmm. there's you know, man, you there's some dudes who you know, especially Kenneth Sierra King in their last you know their uh-huh. last two years who were like, yeah, you know. So is this a culmination? Like you have you have DeAnthony because he went to the league, or just his time? No, in, in high school, mm. you know, yeah, that's why I can't because his young his his Remy Martin is not in that. And Remy is it so? Uh, <laughs> I love Remy. The uh, thing about Remy throwing some antagonistic like no 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 no. Remy's my guy. On, Remy knows ahead. this. All right. The one the one game Heritage played in the the year of Open Division 2017, Remy got in foul trouble and it kept us in the game because we we were like we couldn't do nothing about Marvin. We could not do anything about Cody. Yeah. We knew this, but we knew that if we got if the ball was out of Remy's hands, that nobody else could get it. Like, you know, like he so was, he was the most important part of our team. Yes. Yeah. I 100%. Guess. And yeah. thank God he got into foul trouble that game. We stayed close and, and lost a, a close game to yeah. the giant of Sierra King and to little old Heritage Christian that, that year. It was, yeah. You got so, that game. Was, you were balling that game. It, that sure. was, that was, uh, no, man, Remy's going too. Man, yeah, Co- yeah. I mean, Cody too. Shoot. Mm-hmm. Marvin. So if, it, if we're just talking about, yeah, Marvin. Man, there's a lot. There's a lot. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I'm stuck. There's too many. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's tough because KJ. Yeah, yeah, KJ. KJ was Dwayne Washington. Zaire, Zaire, Zaire even man. at both Notre Dame, and then when he went over to Sierra Canyon, mm-hmm. he was with uh, Tyler Dorsey. For I mean, does he count? Yeah. He was in Marinette. You know, he's a Pasadena. Yeah, he yeah. don't count. He'll he'll, he'll count. Adjacent <laughs> he'll as well. Yeah. Uh, man, I love Kier. No, Kier Clark was good in high school for me. So it's, a, it's an impossible guards. task. It almost, but I'm gonna pick my four. Okay, I'm gonna pick my four. Let's go. I got Drew. You got Drew. I got Jordan. Uh-huh. That's the oldest dude I'm gonna pick. Yeah. Uh, oh, Amari. Oh yeah. Yeah, there Amari. was Amari. Uh-huh. And fourth. Oh, you know what? I'm going Sky Clark. 
right, for the get, two years he played. That. You get to have that. You coach his sophomore you year. That. Everybody go look at Sky's <laughs> sophomore year mixtape is crazy. It is one of the best high school mixtapes ever. I don't care. I'll put it in my top five all day with the Austin Rivers, Aaron Gordon. I don't care who it is. His uh, sophomore I'm gonna year. That. I'm going to go watch it. 25, <laughs> 7, and 7. That boy was cold his sophomore year. And, yes, I'm biased because I was coaching. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. You get to have but that. I'm going to take that. Sky, all up. You get to have it. All right. And then I'm going to – actually, so I think it's a good one. So we're going to go. It's called Where Were You When? And we're going to get in our DeLorean. We're going to go back to okay. the COVID year. Mm. Um. You guys were playing for the regional championship or the southern championship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Zaire hits the game winning shot, right? Yes, that was, that, was, that was yeah, that was right moving into COVID. And so, you guys don't get to go play in the state championship. No, we don't. Well, what? Well, let's talk about the shot first, okay. your thoughts and feelings on that, and then moving into preparing for a state championship game that you did not get to play. Um, the shot was crazy. So everybody goes back to the shot, but I'm gonna go back to when Zaire took the charge at half court and they mm. called a block and he lost it. <laughs> he was running around the court, he's mad. Yeah. Luckily, one of the players grabbed him, came into the huddle, and I was just standing there like stoic. I was like, relax, we're gonna be good. And he was going crazy. So he finally calmed down. And I was like, look, we gonna press, like, gotta get up. We down, we were down 13 with like three minutes to go. Yeah. So we press, they don't get the ball past half court for like three possessions. And then we stopped them. We got a shot to, to tie. We missed, they came down, we got to stop. And then we got a rebound out and I was like, timeout. So basically I just put the ball in Zaire's hands and I had BJ coming up to set a flat screen because Jaden was guarding him, mm-hmm. uh, Jaden Clark. Yeah. So we were having flat screen. We knew he wasn't going to leave. So uh, Zaire was supposed to just turn the corner and get rim, but he lost the ball. And then he, and then he went, crossed over, got to the opposite elbow, and hit his patented shot. And it was pandemonium. Yeah, that was so wild. That was, at CSUN, that at full CSUN, house. It was crazy. It was hot like, in there that day. That was oh, you were there? I, I was there, oh, yeah. Man. No, I saw that live. Mm-hmm. And then moving into not being able to finish So that was the crazy. So COVID was happening during that time. Like it was like mentioning it all, it was about to mm-hmm. shut down, which was crazy because season was, was packed and nobody had a mask. Nobody. We all <laughs> we got were hugging and jumping on each other. <laughs> we were all like good. We we were surprised we didn't get COVID actually. Uh, and then we were in preparation um to go up to the state championship, practicing. And then I think it was Tuesday that the NBA canceled. Yeah, the Ivy League. So the Ivy League shut down. That weekend, that Sunday. Yes. Ivy League shut up. And then Tuesday, the NBA was like, we're not playing games. Because Rudy Gobert coughed on the mic. Yes. Thanks, Rudy. Thank you. (laughs) And then the next day, we practiced, and we thought we were still going. And then uh, on Thursday, they hit us and was like, canceled. First, they said postponed. Right. First, they told us it was going to be postponed. And they were like, all right, we got some more time to prepare. So we'll be fine. And then they canceled it. And it was like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah, because we were going to win the game by a, a significant amount. Yes, <laughs> who were you guys supposed to say? San Joaquin? No, no, it uh, was Bishop O'Dow and uh, Sheldon didn't oh, even. They okay. didn't play. Oh, so they, because they, they canceled because Sheldon wouldn't go play the game because they had a couple kids in their school mm. that had COVID, uh, so they didn't play a game. And then the city turned it around, um, so they were supposed to play each other. So they were supposed. To, we won on Tuesday. They were supposed to play on Thursday, and then we were supposed to play them on Saturday. Mm. But that, that they didn't even get to play the Thursday game, so we don't wow. even know who the uh, the champion of that region was that year. Yeah, no, we um we count that for you guys. I, we, do, <laughs> we do too. Yes, yeah, that was oh, that was that year. We was, won our last game. Yep, we get to yeah, take this. There, there was a couple, who else? Um, somebody else did. Oh, St. Francis. They were supposed mm-hmm. to go and play. I think Division two state mm. title or something like that they yeah. didn't get to go play there was another team from the valley yeah, that no. didn't get that opportunity but that was tough man that was that's so crazy to work that hard and not i mean y'all it was beautiful you get, you it, get it, to read the reason though and the way that we won was so like dynamic yes. that you're like all right it's cool that we have to end this way but like not culminating not not finding out who like they're really the true california yeah. king is 
Right, right. It's a little disheartening, but yeah, no, you know, you, um, so um, it sounds like you know you've had all this. You've been at Sierra for eight years now. Uh, six as the head coach. Six as a head. Yes, yeah, six. Six as the head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been it's been a roller coaster to mm-hmm. say you know to start off and win right away. Um, you know highs and lows of the media and yeah. the, the players who have come in. Um, where does Sierra Canyon go from here? What what can we expect to see? Um, you know, from your your perspective as growth as a coach and just as the program. Um, I mean, I think we we have uh, been elite. I think over the six years, and like with all of the chaos, we maintain being elite. Uh, so I think that you know we go back to winning championships. That's always the ultimate goal. Um, you know, there there's now some teams in the valley and throughout California. Uh, that are fighting for uh, the the top rank over like a long period of time, mm-hmm. uh, and I love it. Uh, but you know we're we're going we're going to be right here every year. And uh, this year I think we have some young talent that you know that's going to be the core. Uh, and so I'm excited about the prospects of what we can do next year. Um, but the year after that and the year after that, I think we have a chance to be special. Awesome. Awesome. And is there anything that you want to say to the people, to the parents, um, if you could give, give, give little Andre some advice, if you were in, you know, middle school, high school, what advice would you give them and maybe their family um, on this road to being a high level student athlete or, or trying to get to your full potential? One, you got to go to class, right? Like, got you got to get a degree like that, that in my family goes without saying, like, Get a degree because you never know when the ball is going to stop bouncing or you're not going to be able to throw or catch a football, whatever sports you play. Uh, you never know when that's going to stop. So make sure you lock in on your academics. Uh, but I, I would say that gotta get, gotta, you got to put in skill time. you got to have the ball in your hand. you got to shoot it. Um, you know, as a point guard, you got to understand progressions and culture. And, um, you know, one of the things that I say, like, it's, it's the player's responsibility to live the culture, but it's the coach's responsibility to uphold the culture. And so if a player can understand um, the culture and uphold that with his team, uh, it's going to lead to championships. Uh, America is a culture of winning. So winning should take priority over everything. When you win, all of the individuals in the program get their just due. Uh, So winning is very important. Uh, team is very important, uh, but, you know, expect obstacles, uh, expect that it's not going to be easy, uh, and just don't leave anything on the table. Love it. Thank you once again for coming on the Appreciate show. Appreciate you, bro. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Another episode of Elevate Your Game. We'll see you next time. Peace.